This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Inside Story on BFM 89.9. Good evening, this is Sharmila Ganesan and Sharad Kutin. Tonight, how going viral can change a beloved F&B business. Now, first we look at how SMEs can scale up sustainably. Later, we hear from small F&B business owners about their aspirations. Tell us, when you find a food place you love, do you share it or keep it secret? Has too much popularity ever ruined your favourite spot? You can call 77332900, tweet us at BFM Radio, send us a voice note or WhatsApp at our U-Mobile number 018-789-8899. This is Inside Story. It is 6.09. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. And today's segment has its roots in the story of Akka Nasilama, right? Now, um, if you haven't seen the videos or seen the social media posts or the media coverage, um, Akka Nasilama is this Nasilama stall that has gone viral, run by Sangeeta. Um, and... Essentially, she's been running her stall for now close to 13 years. Recently, though, exploded in popularity after being featured on a food vlog account called KL Foodie. They reviewed her food, um, ended up uh, going viral on Twitter, on TikTok, people talking about how great the Nasilama is. Um, and it's sort of a compounding effect. The more people started posting about it and, and documenting their experience, lining up for hours to get the Nasilama, the more people wanted to be a part of this experience, as it does. Sharad is looking at me in total bewilderment. Who would want to do this? No, I mean, would you say that Nasilama was worth the wait? Okay, maybe which is what they're saying. saying. Everybody okay. says it's really good. Worth the wait. Okay, yeah. so because it did seem to me, uh, I did see the videos. Uh, completely off-putting because the lines were phenomenally long. I mean, they just, it snaked around, I don't mm. know, the other side of the canal or something that <laughs> separated her from some of uh, these customers. People were talking about four-hour waits, five-hour waits. Um, but what is interesting is how this then ended up impacting both the business and the business owner because uh, she had her business sort of increase so quickly and so far, uh, so quickly by so much that uh, she had to do in a lot more work. Um, it's a, just a small business. She's been running it um, primarily on her own with the help of her family. Um, and very recently, uh, it was reported that she's been facing exhaustion, that um, you know she's lost weight, she's finding it difficult to cope. Um, she also talked about how she'd been facing a lot of backlash from customers who were essentially upset that they had come and there was no Nasilama to be purchased. Uh, she had also been facing attacks online um, from for various reasons, people jealous of her business, um, customers who are unhappy, as tends to happen when things go viral on social media. So the question really here is not so much about specifically her business. Um, she seems very sincere, um, you know, seems like a very nice person from all media accounts. But really, um, if you are a small business owner, particularly of this variety, a micro SME, largely individually or family run, um, 
is going viral really the best thing for you? And how do you capitalize on that in a way that's actually sustainable for your business? Yeah, so that's the practical side of it, right? Which has to do with how do you cope with the increased demand, surges? How do you measure, you know, if there are 300 people today, will there be 300 people tomorrow, for instance? Um, but, you know, I, I just think success on social media is has become, uh, you know, a kind of a, uh, a, a double-edged sword for so many people. Remember that couple that became a YouTube uh, sensation, Pavitra and her husband? Sugi Pavitra, yeah. Yeah. And remember how that whole thing kind of imploded. And that's not about demand, right? But that was just the consequence of success. So much attention, a, a radical change in life circumstances, and then people not being able to cope with that. So, you know, so yes, I understand there's a practical side about how the business might cope and, you know, do that. But there's this other psychological side of uh, of the phenomena, which has to do with just the, what attention does to you. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think... Um it's the kind of attention and uh, pushback or feedback or the expectation of a response that the average person usually doesn't anticipate because they don't expect suddenly that you're going to have to now deal with thousands of people who... Um, and it could be thousands, literally. It, it could literally be thousands or tens of thousands, depending on the kind of reach these social media posts have. So even when a business owner is asked or voluntarily agrees to coverage or... Um, you know, online publicity, I don't think they necessarily anticipate that it could go that big or that large. Um, the scale of it, I think, can be complicated um, and, and difficult to understand. So what we're going to try and unpack um, for the rest of the show is really this notion of whether going viral uh, is always a good thing. But after this, we are going to be hearing from Chin Chi Siong, who is Secretary General of the SME Association of Malaysia, to, le um, to learn how to scale up sustainable but we'd like to hear from you as well. When you find a food place that you love, do you share it or do you keep it secret? Has too much popularity ever ruined your favorite spot? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Birkins for Mama. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It's 6.15. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. And we're talking about um, food businesses, particularly small food businesses that go viral and how it can be quite difficult to cope with the kind of attention and demand uh, that comes after that. Um, so we'd like to hear from you. When you find a food place you love, do you share it or do you keep it a secret? Has too much popularity ever ruined your favorite spot? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now is Chin Chi Siong, Secretary General of the SME, Asso SME Association of Malaysia. Chi Siong, thanks for speaking with us today. Good evening. Uh, thanks for having me here. Uh, uh, I would like to listen to most of your question today, and I think it's a very interesting topic talking about scale up for SMEs. Especially on the on the micro SMEs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're talking about this particularly because of a small food vendor that saw this massive increase in customers, right? After her videos went viral, uh, or videos of her went viral. Is this something you've seen happening to many other small businesses? Not really, but uh, mainly on foodies, foodies company, restaurant. There have been uh, many. Uh, 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 
micro SME, especially in the retail FMB side, do face a similar situation. And uh, many of those uh, are probably, you know, a, a small noodle shop, you know, a small food store that are similar to what uh, Sangita is facing, but not as great as big. <laughs> you know, the wider went so so big and so fast for for this uh, Sangita. Yeah, so Chi Chiang, you know, so obviously, you know, no money was spent on marketing for these micro SMEs, and you know, they got it all because people love the products that they were putting out. The question is, what's the downside of this success, you know, that has come through, in some, some sense, kind of just crowdsourcing of opinion? Right. It's in fact, for SMEs, uh, if you suddenly feel such a rapid, you know, kind of scale up of your business, and you will fall back to what, first thing, your capability, yeah, your business capability, how far can you adapt to these uh, changes? I mean, this fast, uh, rapid uh, scaling up of your business. Are you able to cope within yourself? Or what is your next move? And uh, for, 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 for most of, most of the, the cases that we face, the upside is good. You've got, you know, brand awareness if you are doing some sales of your brand. Um, and also, if you have a caption, you have people coming to you. There are people who come all the way to, to look for your product and your services. But the, the downside is that they may also face a lot of uh, challenges. Like you couldn't provide a better service because of your, uh, you know, not enough manpower to handle the situation, number one. Then you, you will face a lot of customer unsatisfaction problem, right? And you will have, you will have, you have, you have more times to go and put, you know, your effort into tackling those issues, which will go the other way around. It will go the other way around means that it will also make uh, your time wasted and just handling those customer uh, issue rather than thinking how to strategize your, 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 your company and then how to get you moving to adapt and cope with the rapid uh, changes in the business, uh, So then particularly with these micro SMEs who tend to largely be individually or family run, how can they prepare themselves to expand? What kind of considerations do they have to make? In fact, the first thing they need to do is to find a good partner if they cannot do it themselves. There's there's the faster ways to do. And by having such a kind of scale-up businesses, there are people who start coming to you. That's number one. Number two, of course, if you want to really handle such a growth, a sudden growth of your business, importantly is to think, will that uh, wider success of your or, or scalable suddenly growth of your uh, uh, sales or your business, will it be sustainable? Will it be able to sustain or just because it's just a short kind of uh, you know interest because of the wider effect, right? Many of them are, are that case. You know, in fact, we have a lot of... Uh, Retail FMB that I have spoke to some of them. In the beginning, when start uh, going viral, their business is very good. Then they start increase, you know, their their office. I mean, their their retail size. You know, they increase their space. They're having more people coming in, and all of a sudden, the business going down, right? Because uh, you know, once you try it, probably you know everybody will like the food, but because of viral, they try it. Then you will have a problem to manage your future fund and your future cash flow. So this is where most of SME are not trained to do that. You know, they are not trained and planned uh, uh, to do how to expand their business or even to have a real sustainability program or, or planning on themselves. What would you suggest? I mean, looking at this particular case of the Nasi Lemak stall, 
what would you have, you know, if, she, if Sangeeta had taken a break and come to you and asked you for advice, what would you have said to her? Right, of course, Sangeeta business, I think, is, is a business that you're using manpower. If Sangeeta alone, how much can she do? It's a limited, limited uh, what they call, capability of the sales volume. You know, how much can they cook a day, right, if he's going alone. So what he needs to do is to find a good partners, to find a good place and location, do some planning, probably even raise some fun to ECF or whatsoever since it's so, so viral, it's so popular. I know many people would like to invest in this uh, company, right? Expand it. Make from a small uh, food store, they could probably get the restaurant, right? Which he can use the well reputation he gained from this viral, uh, going viral kind of uh, uh, information going around that helped him to build his own her branding. So, and he could do a lot and he need some sort of professional guy, professional partners that, in fact, the best thing for her to do right now is to go for expansion plan with partnership, right? Then there are many business people are willing to partner with her and make this business a greater success. What sorts of avenues are there that um, micro-business owners can turn to, um, either to receive support um, or even to upskill and um, sort of get a, a, to learn more about how to run a business? Um, where can they go? In fact, our government agency, specifically on the entrepreneur development ministry, such as SME Corp, SME Corp have a lot of programs that, in fact, train from micro-SME versus uh, SMEs. There are many programs that can go through, and even they have investment uh, committee to help them to find funding. If they have an issue with uh, capital, startup capital, or, or, or small micro loan, they will help them to get it from you know, SMB Bank or Bank Riot, no matter. So there are many avenues they can use. If if for a company of SME uh, of a micro SME first, they could go to SME Corp, or they can come to SME Association like us, those chamber. Those uh, association, they have uh, many uh, businessmen. They can really willing, you know, to give, share their idea, share their experience, or even provide certain uh, strategic planning for them to how to grow their business. And in fact, in, in our association, for instance, I mean, we have a lot of business uh, company, our members especially, to guide them, to list them to where they could get uh, resources, right? Especially like uh, working with SME Corp. Uh, uh, that is one of the best way for him for this micro SME to grow. They have done a lot for that. If you look at the success of SME Corp on their website. Chisyuk, there's there's this really strange thing about food, uh, which is that okay, so maybe you can scale up. You can go for twenty, you know, uh, roasted chicken to uh, two hundred roasted chicken. But there's other dimension to it that often attracts customers to a place, which has to do with the atmosphere, the relationships uh, that you ha- might have to the cook or to the the staff or if they are staff. Uh, and is that scalable? Is that dimension of the business scalable? I think for F and B business to do scalable, you've got to go you know a few approach. You have no if you that what you mentioned just now is really some some good experience. If I like this restaurant, good service, I'll go back for sure, right? But how are you gonna scale your business if you have only one restaurant? And uh, to to grow that you've got to grow in terms of franchising. One of the ways is to do franchising. The second way is to 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 grow like what uh, 
we have a famous uh, Papa Rich before, but they have it closing down, right? But we have also other very successful like Oriental Cafe. And many of those cafes have been doing very well, right? And that you can see scale up. But the issue is not so much on, on, on whether the customer satisfy you know, it's whether you have a, a, a strong plan, a good plan where we, whereby you can maintain your food quality as well as your uh, uh, customer's satisfaction uh, services. You can provide a good service and a good food and constantly quality food without changes. That is the most difficult part. And most of our retail uh, uh, Malaysian company have not even reached this, uh, this stage. Uh, not like what the, the international brands such as KFC or even like the McDonald's. We are not going to compare with that, but we have uh, even other homegrown uh, products I mentioned just now, right? And even the Hainan, Hainan Coffee uh, change, they're doing very well. And uh, there are many models. First, I mentioned about franchise model. There are some models that you own yourself, you own the chain and you grow, right? And of course, that is a, the most difficult one. And uh, what I advise to those F and B uh, uh, company, if they want to really scale up, they have to really think of having a really quality control on their food uh, preparation, especially to have a good central kitchen that will uh, definitely help. So on the part of the customers then, is a certain level of compromise something we have to expect, particularly when it comes to that personal touch or the relationship that we might have with the business owner? Yeah, I mean, it, there's a, it, it's all depend on the, the pace of restaurant. Restaurant, in, in fact, what we realized lately, yeah, there are a lot of restaurants, the high-end restaurants are not doing that very well. And not because of uh, they are not expanding, the food is no good, or the price is high, but because they do not really have the personal touch. You know, like some of these omakase Japanese restaurants, they are good because the chef is there giving, you know, explanatory of what they are providing, and they are very... You know, uh, personalized services. But when you grow, you come to a second level, uh, a mid-range uh, restaurant. Then uh, you, you hardly see any good uh, restaurant that can provide a good service, right? And the personal touch is key. In fact, for any restaurant, it's key. But when you have personal touch, you you, are, you can't scale. How how many owner will be there? You know, looking at their own business, you can't. And to have a good professional managers that really, you know, fight and do well and help the company to grow by providing better customer service is, is quite difficult to find out. Eh? And most of them are taking their job as a job. So uh, you won't get kind of personal touch, especially when you hire you know, workers to work for you. Right. So Chi Young, we have about a minute left. Uh, what would you like to see done to support small and medium-sized businesses, especially in the F&B space? I think uh, for, for for SME in the in the Micro SME space, I would like to say, we would like to, them to really think to scale up themselves. No, even really before you've got such a problem like a viral kind of a scale up business they're coming to you, you never know, right? Prepare yourself, go and go to this SME co agency, the government agency, or come to our association or any other chambers that get their guidance on what. To prepare themselves, what kind of training they require. You know, there are many things you need to do. You need to know your finance, you need to know where to get money, you need to know how to prepare your mindset. So there are many things they have to learn. And that is where I urge the micro SME to really look into it. Don't just thinking about, you know, getting good sales every day because it's limited you can do. But by expanding your business, like growing in a different way, like I say scaling up with the 
different branches or even move up to a different level will be much better. So they should consider this. Chi Siong, thanks for speaking with us today. Thank you. That was Chin Chi Siong, Secretary General of the SME Association of Malaysia, speaking to us about how uh, micro SMEs in the FNB space uh, can think about scaling up and the challenges involved in that. Uh, do send your thoughts through when you find a food place you love. Do you share it or keep it secret? Has too much popularity ever ruined your favourite spot? You can call us, you can send us a voice note, you can WhatsApp us, you can tweet us and keep it here, BFM 89.9. Blockbusters for me. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It's 6.39. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. And we're talking about food businesses, micro businesses that go viral and coping with that, which can often be quite challenging, how to scale up. Um, And so we've been asking you, when you find a food place you love, do you share it or do you keep it a secret? Has too much popularity ever ruined a favourite spot? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Let's start with a voice note from TIDJ. So yes, uh, popularity has ruined a few of my favourite places to eat back home. Um, I'll give one example because, you know, it's really ruined. Um Agal Road, Roti Chanai in Penang. It's like previously when we saw all the tourists going to Transfer Road, Roti Chanai, we we're like, ah, go ahead, take it. It's, you know, it's in not meters, the best. Keep left to Jalan Mara. However, yeah, more and more people are finding out about Agal Road, Roti Chanai, which is walking distance from Transfer Road and how much better it is. So I hate the fact that when I go there now, I have to wait close to 30 minutes before I get my Roti Chanai. And yeah, it's it's sad because, um, and it's not, it's partly the fault of us local Penangites. We are proud of our food and sometimes we mock people. Like we would comment like, yeah, yeah, go there. Uh, we don't necessarily disclose where's a better spot, but we kind of feel that, haven't we? It's like, we kind of already inform people like, yeah, no, this place is not the best. And of course, meters. those TikToks, to like what Penang Foodie, or, or, I just hate them because they keep bringing up places that the locals don't want the tourists to know about because we want our food. <laughs> TIDJ, um, are you driving to dinner? Where are you going? I'm curious. I won't tell people. <laughs> well, someone bugs us off Jalamaro. That much we know. But, you know, yes. Okay. So, um, so this, uh, this. I don't tendency among Penangites to hide the best from uh, visitors. Not just Penangites, lots of uh, sort of insider info in the in the cities that are known. Ipoh, um, there are many people in Ipoh who are like, I only tell these places to people I really like because otherwise, my favorite Chichong Fun place will become too crowded. Yeah, I mean, I I can see the impulse. I'm not quite sure about the proprietors. They they might welcome uh, more customers, uh, you know, from around the world, not just from Penang Island, which I know is the center. Of some people's world. So that's that's the push and pull of it, right? Um, I think actually uh, as a consumer or a customer and if you really like a place, I want them to do well. Um, and therefore, sometimes posting or sharing is also a part of saying, hey, you know, these guys are great. Give them your support. Um, just to add on, TIDJ did WhatsApp after to say, I used to share it on my Instagram. And back then it was a public profile. I do occasionally tag the location now, but I've privatized my profile and I post stories, not posts. 
playlists to avoid people finding out my favorite spots. TIDJ is serious about this. And I think people are in Malaysia, I mean, in lots of places in the world, but we are very serious about our food, right? This and is true. Yeah. I love to give uh, visibility to uh, places where I think the food is very good because I, I think it's a kind of a act of generosity on my part <laughs> uh, to uh, to share you know this with the rest of the world. The consequence of, of course, I have seen, um, especially in a small establishments, right, uh, grow big and become very different from what I remember them. And there's a there's a teeny teeny bit, bit of uh, regret in me uh, that they evolved in that way. But you know, for me, ultimately, I I, I wouldn't change my behavior about uh, informing people. Well, Lehang says um, I do share the food I find that's good, um, but only through word of mouth. For instance, when we chat about me- chat over meals with colleagues, and we tend to discuss good food to try next weekend. Uh, we also have uh, Jun Xiao saying when I find good food, I'm more than willing to share with my friends who are also good food lovers. That's also one of the ways that I find good restaurants. If it's not share, if you're not sharing an apple, you only get half. Oh, that's that's a metaphor, is it? It is. A <laughs> food <laughs> metaphor at that. Right. But there are people, I mean, when you go to a new city and um, I always appreciate people who you know, draw up lists for me and say, you must try this range of food because it does help you negotiate this new space and you experience new things. And it's not always that it's just about the food. It could be about the atmosphere. Question is, Shamala, do you ever give bad reviews? I don't. As in online, like public posting reviews, yeah. very rarely. Unless something truly happened that I think other people should avoid going to a place, I rarely do. Right. Yeah. So there's also, you know, this very strange phenomenon. It happens in PJ a lot is is people picking up on what used to be, right? So, for instance, uh, the Medan Slera stalls. Oh, yes. Some of them have graduated in the second or third generation of owners into new establishments. But very different, right? I mean, you can't, in some ways... Go back to that time. The Maidan Slera experience, if you had it, you'll know what it is. For some people, it was horrific. There was a lot of filth uh, and vermin. Uh, but uh, for others, it was a magical experience because it was outdoors and such. Um, can that be recaptured? Maybe you just can't you know, deny change. Um, and then I think that's something that perhaps we need to be appreciative of as well, that places will come and go. They may evolve. They may franchise and no longer be the little hole in the wall that we used to love. Good for them because they've been working hard to get there. We just need to find new favorite places to go. Um, Saus on Twitter, though, is saying, I'm a horrible little gatekeeper and like to keep good places secret so that I can be the one to take people there. Yeah, there's something about being in possession of some secret knowledge, some arcane knowledge about the really good places that serve the best of the best, right? Everybody would like to be a keeper of that. So the impulse to share that, I mean, there's a brag in some of the social media postings, I think, about finding like, oh, my God, didn't you know about this place? Yeah. On the other side, of course, uh, you kind of undermine your own... um, Ability to keep doing that if you kind of share that knowledge. Yeah. Well, so. well, 
you don't want to be the person or rather it's difficult for it's difficult if you're the person who sort of very earnestly recommend the place that you love to someone they go there and then they find out that uh, that perhaps they weren't as impressed as you were um that can often make or break some friendships i think they're like oh what you didn't think that my best chakwe there in the world was anything worth going for how are we even friends indeed i think but in food as in many other things aesthetic experiences you know um subjective it's very subjective mm-hmm. keep those thoughts coming when you find a food place you love do you share it or keep it secret has too much popularity ever ruined your favorite spot you can call 77332900 send us a voice note or whatsapp 0187898899 tweeters at bfm radio after this we'll be hearing from uh, some micro business owners about their own uh, plans or whether they even want to increase the the sort of popularity they have. Uh, we'll also be going through more of your messages so keep it here on inside story bfm 89.9 bloggers for malaysia bfm 89.9 It's 6:48. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. We're talking about small food businesses going viral. Um whether that's always a good thing, how they cope and scale up. Uh and we're also talking about how we feel when that happens. So we'd like to hear from you. When you find a food place you love, do you share it or keep it a secret? Has too much popularity ever ruined your favorite spot? You can call us double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. So we did reach out to a number of small F and B business owners uh, to talk to them about how they feel the, about this phenomenon, um, and you'll be hearing a few of them throughout the show. So Mazira owns a Questall in uh, Tamantun, and we asked if she wants her business to be more popular. Kalau you tanya yang soalan ni 15 tahun lalu of course akan nak jadi popular terkenal dan nak yalah nak bisnes jadi bagus sebab nak nak survive kita punya family right uh, kalau sekarang anak-anak dah besar dah dah cari duit sendiri dan nak tak fikir pun nak nak bukan nak kaya tapi just nak just really like nak nak niaga tu untuk uh, isi masa lapang Uh, just cari duit makan untuk sendiri-sendiri anak dah cari duit sendiri kan kita pun tak ada benda nak fikir uh, boleh jalan okeylah tak ada benda dah So Marisa uh, Mazira explains that you know 15 years ago we asked this question to her she would have wanted something different but now she says uh, you know uh, that her children are grown up they aren't dependent on her she doesn't need to think about making lots of money instead she does it to fill her time and to find some extra money for herself Yeah so motivations might be different for different business owners right so Mazira then talks about how she would manage if she did have an increase in the number of her customers tak ada masalah pun kita berniaga lama kot. Ah ha, setakat mas- customer yang boleh datang sekali rap 10 20 orang tak ada masalah nak handle kot. Biasalah niaga kena ikut uh, peraturan Q. Kita boleh serve seorang sampai seorang kan. Nah, so first come first serve. Kau potong Q aku tolak kau belakang. <laughs> Simple. 
I love that. That is um, sort of enforcing the law right there. That was Mazira, owner of a Quay stall in TTDI, telling us that as someone who's been doing this for a really long time, that she wouldn't find it a problem if her customer base increased. She'd just intervene if they cut the queue, to tell them to get back in line. <laughs> yeah, but did the queue, as in Sangeeta's problem and Sangeeta's queues, was that they would have snaked they around, around Tamantun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, so it was... It was not just a spike in customers, it was a phenomenal, exponential mm. increase in customers. We also spoke to Orchid de Churros. They are a stall selling churros in DTDI as well. Um, and they shared their thoughts on handling a sudden increase in customers. We experienced this before because last time KL Foodie did come to our stall and review. Uh, and then we have a sudden crowd coming uh, uh, and how we handle the crowd is actually we hired more staff and we structure how to take order and arrange the order. Uh, even though it's viral thing is something different now because you get sudden crowd without without preparing. Uh, but actually, it's, uh, it's and it was uh, experience for us lah to learn more uh, on the customer service, how to take care of the order and all. So that's interesting, right? Uh, the second, um, I mean, it's it's a really good example of how uh, the suddenness of going viral, because um, it's one thing to plan for a, for an increase in customers to know that you're running a promotion. And so maybe you need to um, increase the ingredients that you might buy. But for something to go up online and to suddenly see an increase in customers, I don't think is something most uh, business owners expect. Yeah. So if I was Sangeeta and, you know, if I had a little henchman or minion to, with me, um, what I would have done is said, OK, I'm, I'm going to only be able to sell, you know, maybe uh, 40 dishes today. If, I, if there's a queue that's longer than 40 people, I would say rush to the to the 40th first person and said, look, you're not going to get a meal today. And then, you know, save them from waiting in line. I think that was that also. You know, it's, it's very important because this, this video of virality is a double-edged sword in that, you know, people love you, you, you benefit from it, and then they, this, they can turn around on a dime. They will turn around and hate you and bring you down. Uh, no, and that's exactly what happened, right, in the rather sad case of Sangeeta. And, and I will say, Sharad, that from watching the videos and at least listening to her interviews, we did try to get her on the show, um, and she was just too busy um, as, it's, you know, as it's become quite apparent. Uh, but but I think part of the challenge is that she does just seem like a really nice person who has enjoyed having a good relationship with her customers. And I think there was, in some sense, a, a, a desire to try and please as many of her customers as possible, which I think, again, is part of learning how to manage this sort of surge in business. Now, we also spoke with Fizzly, who is the founder of Kappi. They are a pisang goreng cheese joint. Uh, Kapi has been in, in the market for the past uh, coming to nine years and one of the challenges that we face uh, in terms of scaling up is uh, finance because we need uh, a lot of money and a lot of investment uh, to scale up. So I guess that is our biggest challenges uh, in order for us to expand. Um, and then plus with PKP, so we had that expansion money uh, but because of PKP, we had to use it for um, surviving the business. 
So um, 2023 is kind of like a start for us again in terms of uh, expansion. And one of the biggest reason for us uh, that we find it quite challenging in terms of expansion is also the manpower issue. So um, we started with a small kiosk and etc. So with our concept, uh, business concept is quite difficult for us to get a manpower. Uh, that's the reason when we want to expand uh, in terms of our pipelines, um, our expansion is not going to be in a kiosk anymore. So we're going to upgrade our expansion plans and we restructure everything so that we can control that uh, manpower issue. That was Fizzly, the uh, co-founder of uh, Cup. He, the founder of Kapi, they are a pisang goreng cheese uh, joint. So we're not going to discuss the this this the very notion of goreng pisang and cheese. Sharad, I know you have strong thoughts, but trust me, they are huge fans of the concept. Um, and <laughs> as explained by the fact that she's talking about yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. the okay. So I, I'm base. just asking. I, was, I wanted some clarity as to whether <laughs> we need to discuss. We are not here to be food critics today. Oh no, we are observers of the business today. <laughs> Uh, but I, I like that point that she was making about um, not just material or not just ingredients or the ability to cook, but really manpower, because that's something a lot of micro SMEs don't have ready access to. Um, and even to think about hiring someone to work in a business that thus far perhaps has been family run or individually run, that's even not just about finance, but a shift in mindset about now being an employer. Uh, there are a lot of things in that. So one of the things about scalability uh, when it comes to food is that how do you replicate the the genius of the the skills of a, of a chef or a cook, right? Uh, what you can do, and I've seen this happen, is they put in processes, right? So, and this is what, what a lot of your, your kind of fast food chains are all about. They'll process, everything is measured, and everything is timed. But then what you lose in that is, um, you know... A, is the experience of what a small uh, food outlet can do. They can evolve. They can, you know, they, they can experiment. They, you know, the food might change day to day. I'm not, not water for chocolate kind of moment, but, you know, you know what I mean. Whereas scalability kills all that. You go bigger, you become, everything is routinized. And, and, and that is quite, quite sad, I think. Keep your thoughts coming. We're talking about um, smaller or micro food businesses scaling up and whether that's always um, a good thing about the challenges that come with that. And we'd like to hear from you. When you find a food place that you love, do you share it or do you keep it a secret? Has too much popularity ever ruined your favourite spot? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We'll be back after this for more of your messages as well as um, hearing from a few other business owners. So keep it here on Inside Story, BFM 89.9. Blues, folk, metal. BFM 89.9. It is 7.07. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. And we've been talking about small food businesses that go viral. Um, this, of course, um, has its roots in the um, experience of Sangeeta and Akka Nasilama, um, having gone hugely viral and recently reports of her being unable to cope, um, particularly in terms of exhaustion um, and even 
negative pushback and feedback from customers because they couldn't get the nasi lemak despite uh, lining up for hours. So we've been asking you, when you find a food place you love, do you share it or do you keep it a secret? Has too much popularity ever ruined your favourite spot? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. We will get to your messages after this, but we also spoke to some business owners. Yeah, so some of these entrepreneurs we spoke to have expanded their businesses. They've asked and we asked them how important scaling up was to them and the challenges they faced in expanding their businesses. Hi, my name is Nazri and I'm the founder and co-owner of Sausage Sizzle Malaysia. I think it's safe to say that it's always been our intention to scale the brand. We want to provide all Malaysians with the ability to taste a real, you know, gourmet hot dog at affordable prices. Currently, we have three different ways to operate our stall, which is like a roadside concept, a cloud kitchen. And most recently, we've adopted this kind of like trailer or kiosk kind of concept. We run a licensing program, which provides an affordable opportunity to new and existing entrepreneurs to run their own F&B business. But obviously with that, uh, scaling has not been the easiest. We're lucky, has been, we've, we've had a lot of color coverage like marketing and awareness, things like that from a number of uh, different food pages, influencers, as well as like newspapers. We currently have over 400 people signed up to learn more about the program, uh, which we are extremely thankful for. And slowly we're making way th- our, our way through this list. Um, but with any F&B business, obviously product consistency and quality is key. So we need to manage the pace at which we scale. Uh, we've invested a lot of in a lot of ways to standardize our operations, to make it easier for licensees to follow SOPs and to uh, you know, just control the product quality across the board. Currently, we have 14 outlets um, in the Klang Valley, in uh, Sremban, as well as Ipoh. And soon we'll be opening in Johor and Penang. Um, but I think currently, looking at all the licensees and the challenges that we're facing together, um, our biggest issues are finding suitable locations, as well as uh, getting the manpower to run the on-ground operations. So I think, you know, uh, we gotta we got to look at how we can both scale and uh, help out or, or figure out these situations. But I think we'll get there. So far, so good. Uh, so, yeah. That was Nazri Adam, founder and co-owner of Sausage Sizzle. Uh, and just to close off, we also talked to Tuppy, co-founder of Curbside Cantina, who shared their thoughts. We'd have to say that upscaling somewhat was the immediate need here. And this was purely for practical reasons to increase the probability and frequency of our existing customers to visit and reach us. Um, Things like actual seating, shade, air conditioning, after years of having issues with consistent food truck business due to just weather alone. Um, We're also really happy with the location we found. Um, Having just built this first dine-in store, we do now have this plus our two existing um, food trucks to mobilize and scale our service. However, this is definitely still a work in progress because even if you build the facility or infrastructure, infrastructure, um, you still have to build the team. And in that respect, our challenge is the same as anyone else's. Um, so, so for now, we've only just traded in the street side, uh, basically for chairs and air conditioning. Um, this does 100% solve our problem and basically with this upgrade we are able to triple our opening hours versus the food truck before 
um, we have better storage, better efficiency, and our team can pretty much work more comfortably. That was Tubby, co-founder of Curbside Cantina. So a number of interesting experiences there, and I think really quite outlining the various aspects that you need to think about when you decide that you want to go from being a smaller food business to something uh, larger, whatever larger might mean. Well, larger like Tubby. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I mean, I just mean the name. Okay, uh, that was not an attempt at fat shaming. Okay, I did want to say, though, coming back to Nazri Adam, he said something very interesting about, um, you know, the ways that they had, the, the lengths they had gone to standardize operations, control product quality across the board, right? So he, he it sounded like he was, this is an attempt at franchising, right? You bring on people, but you ha- because they share the same name and the brand and the reputation, any franchisee that goes off the tracks is going to damage the brand. And so you got to keep in track. The, the, and and I, I complete, you know, respect for people who try to do this. It's very different from a standalone restaurant where you have a chef who, you know, works in a very different way to bring you an experience that's unique. That's not going to be this. It's This is more like... N- making the experience a national phenomena. Yes, and and I think it actually goes back to um, what do you want from your business? If you prize and value the personal touch, that you want to be there every day and to see your customers and uh, be able to talk to them or or take personal orders and customize each dish yourself versus is your vision something that's a little bit more expansive? And, And, you know, I don't think there is a right or wrong. It really just depends, one, what you have the capability to do, but also what your idea of a successful business might look like. Um, But I find it interesting, and and this is something that's coming through from our listeners as well, um, that the relationship is what customers often respond to, more so than um, a a brand is one thing. But I think a lot of, you you can have a relationship with a brand. You can associate a certain type of experience with a certain name. So I want to bring up a, a, a ubiquitous Malaysian brand and food experience, the Rumley Burger mm. Stall, right? So there you have standardized products, but well, perhaps standardized products, products. I mean, so but the, not the kind of burger because you can get a very different Rumley Burger from different Rumley Burger but stalls. But they're all Rumley Burgers. But the Rumley the patty burger, is the same. Same, yes, right. So yes, the guy might have that thing where he puts the egg in, or you might have a burger arnab or something like that. But what I find quite um, interesting about that model of franchising is that there isn't a standardization of the experience. Meaning, the franchisee, the person standing behind this thing and making the the burger more, more often than not is very unique and for me that's that's a curious uh, combination of something that very local but with a very kind of national standardized product right um this is probably a conversation that we could do a whole show on, but I find the phenomenon of the Ramli Burger Stall so interesting because for something that is essentially a uh, franchise product, the individuality is actually what people go for. Like you'll have people arguing to death that their Ramli Burger Stall is the best Ramli Burger Stall um, and that this one, even though they're using the same patty, doesn't come close. And and I think there's something to it. Um, there is also the idea that it's the experience of a Ramli Burger Stall as well. The quintessential, like late night, street side, you go there, you either tapa or you sit there and you have some. So again, it's it's got a whole lot of things that goes into why people get attached to it. 
I don't think the cooking is standardized, though, because unlike uh, one of those big franchises where literally the cooking is timed, yes. everything is timed. No, this one is very not, individual. Right? So the person, how gutting they make their patty. Mm-hmm. Whether and, they put uh, pepper in between. And yeah. when they put the pepper, all that it really is up to them. So Rumley's found a really interesting thing. And it is a phenomenon. Keep those thoughts coming. When you find a food place you love, do you share it or keep it a secret? Has too much popularity ever ruined your favourite spot? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We'll be back after this for your messages. So keep it here on Inside Story, BFM 89.9. Bluff Free Medium, BFM 89.9. It's 7.18. You're listening to Inside Story with Sharmila and Sharad. And we are asking you, when you find a food place you love, do you share it or keep it a secret? Has too much popularity ever ruined your favourite spot? You can call us. You can send us a voice note. You can WhatsApp us. You can tweet us. Let's start with a voice note. This is from Rishin. I think there can be a consequence to... Uh, too much gatekeeping as well because I used to have a favorite cafe. It was a nice little quaint place. There was never really many people there. It had nice food. I really loved just sitting there and doing my work and I liked that nobody really went there and it was always quiet and I could always sit there for as long as I wanted. But I realized, but after a while, it actually closed down and I realized it was probably because you know, nobody went there, so it probably wasn't a very profitable business, even though the whole atmosphere was super nice and the food was great. So after that happened, I really wish that I'd actually gone on my way to, you know, try to promote the place and help more people come along, even if it might have made my favorite place more busier, at least it'd still be there. Rishan, that is such a, that's a problem I didn't actually it's think of. It's a sad of. story, It Rishan. is. And, and now that I think about it, because I do have a couple of favorite spots that have shut down. And now I wonder, could I have done more <laughs> to, to get them some, some customers? No, so this is it, right? Restaurants are businesses. Um, you know, probably need to find a place to work that isn't dependent on those guys having to keep the shutters up by, you know, um, by having people come there and they have to be busy. And of course, you know, very popular places do push out customers. After a while, they'll be saying to you, you know, they'll put up a notice and say you can't work on your laptop there or you can't sit at the table for more than an hour and such. But yeah, that is the grim reality. They weren't popular and you lost a spot to <sighs> sit in. That actually makes me sad. Um, we have a voice note. This is Shazni. Hello, guys. Uh, yes, normally I will share it in the social media. Uh, if let's say I find it uh, interesting, delicious and all that. Uh, hoping that the business will thrive. And But at the same time, I also don't want it to be viral. Because I think being viral is not a good business plan to you for, for that place because uh, the, the because the business will not have the resources to handle such crowd right uh, sadly that is happening to the um, to, to the land Akarasi Lemak the Nasi Lemak store that you mentioned just now so yeah I think maybe after this I will think twice before share it in social media yeah Shazni, I don't know if you heard Rishan just now, but, you know, sometimes if it's a favorite place, if they're not getting customers, maybe then you can post. 
Yeah, so the question is, can you calibrate this popularity, right? So especially beyond the surge, right? The surge, maybe everybody's, you know, there's the buzz and everybody likes the fact that they're in a queue. It just perhaps unsustainable. But, you know, I, I go to restaurants that have like a chicken rice restaurant that's very popular in Section 17. I think they just decide they're going to sell so much in the day, you know, and they probably just sell out every day based on what they are willing in, in the inventory they, had, uh, they have decided they will have for that day. Maybe the secret is to kind of do a middle ground, a sort of micro influencing. The thing that the thing that probably most of us have been doing for a while, right? right tell a friend. Tell a friend. Take is that a micro influencing. I'm calling it that. I've decided <laughs> that that's what I'm calling it. Um, oh, you know, the next time you arrange to go out with a few friends, suggest a place that you like that they may not know. Um, talk it up to them. Um, hope that they bring other people there, which is a little bit different from something going viral. Um, I mean, particular food sites or blogs have come up a number of times in the conversation today. And I think sometimes, and I've experienced this personally myself, I used to know this lovely little ramen place that I could just stroll into on a weekend. Always got a spot. Their ramen was amazing. Had a had a um, a food site feature them and then just with the snap of a finger um, they were crazy. You'd have to line up on weekday afternoons, weekday nights. You'd have to take tickets to go in. I'm very happy for them but I don't go there anymore. What about just reservations? What about making use of some basic technology for that so that you don't need to be disappointed. You don't have to line up. You just make a reservation. You call. See, and you... again, I think some of this is an experience thing. No, I, I think that there is, firstly, if it's a stall or whatever, you know, the investment in putting a system in place and all all of that might be things that they don't necessarily care to do. Um, I think sometimes people like talking about how long they lined up to go somewhere and it, it sort of signals a, a commitment and an excitement in the process. But that's going to be a flash in the pan, excuse the pun. Ah, so that's Shazni's point also, right? That it may not necessarily be good for businesses in the long term because uh, one, I think personally, how long can that kind of spike last? And now if you scale up, and now you're prepared to serve X number of customers. What if eventually they drop off? As Chi Seong, uh, you know, from the SME yeah. Association uh, mentioned earlier as well. We have another voice note that's come in. This is Saiful. Frequent this one restaurant is called Auntie Ainis Garden. There's in Nilai Negeri Milan. And uh, quite okay. I've been there for many times over, over years. And I love... The restaurant is expanding. What 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 they what they do in order to make it sustain? They limit the number of seat in the restaurant itself. So if you have the opera two twice a day uh, in the afternoon and also at night, so the limited time of people can sit and the limit in such a way it's become much more exclusive. So only at weekend, for example, a weekend without booking, you is definitely you can make, cannot make it. And for the weekdays, you have can have some time you can get there uh, if they are free available. But in a way, the way they maintain the foods and also the maintain the taste and of of course regarding the services, and it managed to survive. I think for most than twenty, more than fifteen years, and. It was not that cheap. 
and they do not do any franchise and it's already become the second generation is taking over the, uh, the the food and because of the mother or the auntie Anis is the one who controlling the with the SOP and also the quality and it still remain the same either by when it was run by the mother or run run by the son thank you Saiful, thank you for that. I love hearing about these old-time places that people have been going to for years and the same family has been running it. And then the customers are also sort of passing their, you know, the legacy on from generations. Uh, I, that's something that I don't think is easily replaced. I don't know about you, but I'm salivating. Now, there was no description. <laughs> Negri Sambilan, oh, he said. <laughs> I, I don't find Negri Sambilan particularly uh, a, a good reason to salivate. I think it's just all this talk about food. Um, it happens with our food shows. We often get recommendations. So uh, this is, I believe, from... So Munif's brought up this restaurant before, I think. Munif says, I love Haitian seafood at my kampong, that's Perlis, chomping on reasonably priced scrumptious seafood while feeling the cool sea breeze in your air, uh, in your hair. <laughs> um, I tell everyone about this place, no problem. There's only eight people in Perlis anyway. I won't get crowded out of it, I think. Ha-ha. Except if the rest of us from... Uh, if us Clang Valley folks show up yeah, you for know, it, weekend trips. It's just a hop, skip and a jump from Penang and people go up to Penang for food. That's true. Um, we have, well, okay, uh, do we have time? Yes. Uh, Paul Jambunathan, hi Paul, um, says, if you knew a good doctor or psychologist, haha, Paul, psychologist himself, uh, a lawyer and so on, wouldn't you recommend them? It's worth the wait or first come, first served. Well, absolutely. You do. I mean, I think the impulse is uh, to recommend good things is definitely in the heart of all good people. <laughs> you know, evil people aside, there was an evil person earlier. Uh, but uh, the the problem is levels, right? I mean, doctor. Yeah, I guess there could be a queue for a lawyer's at a lawyer's office. There could be a queue for a doctor. I mean, Not some a good doctors. Queue. Yeah, um, I mean, that's after you take your number and you're waiting. Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, but certainly a, a waiting l- a list. Yeah, so, but you know, just that most people don't have legal or psychological or, or, you know, dental problems on a daily basis, at least (laughs) twice a day. You don't. So you're never going to get that volume. Or three times on a weekend. Yeah. We have, let's see, uh, an anonymous listener saying, I like the hipster style, so I keep my mouth shut to avoid it for for it going viral on social media. Uh, I think that so you said we had one person who was evil this is borderline also <laughs> a little bit a little bit I'll keep it to myself um, we have uh, actually this one I thought was an interesting point Ku says I usually share if the restaurant I like is super underrated because I believe they deserve it also I have no issues if they decide to impose a time limit let's say an hour many of us complain about time limits but I think we should also be considerate to businesses if everyone wants to camp for three camp there for three hours the turnover will be low and restaurants won't survive. Yeah, you know, I think that most of us would like to share good experience and I think that's what's coming through uh, here. Though at the same time, we know that there are potential downsides to that sharing. I hope Sangeeta recovers and and grows in strength after this. I mean, it might have been a bad... Pushback and reversal. I hope she does recover, though. I hope so, too. And I hope to someday be able to try her nasi lemak first. Yeah, we don't know I why yeah. it's so magical. Oh, I've heard it's amazing. So maybe when, the, when it's a little bit more manageable at some point. But keep your thoughts coming and keep it here on Inside Story, BFM 89.9. 
You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.